The first crop has been harvested, and the long, hot days of planting, growing, and tending have led up to this first bounty. It's time to celebrate, but how is this holiday relevant in a time when you can get bread and corn year-round? Why is it celebrated on the 1st of August, when the fruition of crops varies based on your location? And what do feats of strength and honoring the dead have to do with the first harvest? In this episode of Witchcraft Deconstructed, we explore the bountiful celebrations of Lunasa and Lamas. It, my understanding of the pronunciation is Lunasa. Lunasa. L- Lunasa. Lunasa. How, how's that different from Lunasa? No, you're putting a slightly different it's slightly different on the A. I, I'm the using the same emphasis as in the book. Like, it's, it's Lu, it has the, has the high point, and Nasa is the end. Lunasa. 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 <laughs> you could always go with Lamas. Ah, uh, but they are different holidays. I mean, um, it's the same time, and they kind of have the same meaning. But here's the interesting thing about Lamas: I was like, you know what? I gotta, I'm gonna pull back to the references online because I want to see what other people find. And, and traditionally speaking, like I've always been introduced to this as, you know, Lamas and Lunasa, Luna, Lunasa, Lunasa, Lunasa. Uh, so I'd, I'd always kind of been trained up that the two holidays were kind of synonymous with slight differences in where the holiday was celebrated. So my understanding was like Lamas was a little bit more Central Europe and Lunasa was more Celtic or Irish oriented. Well, it's it's the first harvest, right? So there are, yeah. there are three harvest festivals. Lunasa or right. Lamas is the first one. Mabin is the second. Um, not Mabone. Mabin. What about Mabin? Not Mabin. Mabin. Mabin really is stepping the on second. That I, yes, yes I am. <laughs> And then, of course, Samhain. Um, not Samhain. Samhain. This is, this is the South when we pronounce it as Samhain. <laughs> no. Potato, tomato. All right. <laughs> so we have three harvest festivals and Lunasa or Lamas. So Lamas to me is, is actually uh-huh. the slightly more, I guess, yeah, sure, um, like Western European, slightly Christianized. Uh, you know, it's like saying Whitson for Beltane or Candlemas for Imolk. Mm-hmm. Imolk, right. not Imbolg, Imolk. So, you know, I think when we talk about all of these holidays, you do have to kind of keep in mind, you know, the full history of what's happened with all of these terms and sort of how when we read a lot of mythology in regards to especially like Celtic traditions, um, the British traditions, a lot of it comes to us through the lens of Christianity, right? Because that's who wrote yeah. about it. The the winners get to rewrite the history, and this this strikes me as one of those holidays where that kind of falls in line with a lot of other stories. Which is, you had uh, your your Roman Empire comes up, they bring Christianity with them, they come in and say, whatever your holidays are, you got to make them taste like Christianity. Oh, it wasn't the Romans. Uh, this, this is Saxons. This is when the Saxons come in, and the Normans. Yeah, no, the the at least in in Britain, you know, the the Romans were still pretty pretty solidly pagan at that point. Christianity wasn't so much a thing. Um, it's more the Saxons and the Normans later on that you know sort of bring this stuff in. And it's also interesting to think about. I think most people don't really realize that even though the Christians came in, and you know, essentially took these holidays and made them into Christian holidays in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the 1500s that the church really laid down the law about 
sort of practicing magic and witchcraft and things like that. It's not until the early 1500s that we see a lot of these really hardcore anti-magic, anti-witchcraft laws from the church come into place. So mm-hmm. even though the church came you're thinking in... Like, you're thinking like the advent of the witch's hammer. Right. Things like that. Things like that. Like, really, those things didn't show up until more of the 1500s. So there's this really long period of time between uh, the Saxons and the Normans conquering Britain uh, in the Christian church coming in where they just sort of ate these holidays and made them a part of their own holidays, you know, so that they didn't, you know, so they could kind of convince people to, to you know, come in and, and practice Christianity. Well, and this makes sense, though, because, I mean, it, much like if you could imagine a foreign nation coming in and taking over the U.S., our economy, our way of life, our, our businesses on, on, a, on a larger scale, our economy, pivots around holidays, pivots around people spending and celebrating holidays. Like these are, these are peaks that businesses plan for. You know, Valentine's Day, Easter, Halloween, Christmas, all of these holidays have deeply rooted dependencies for the economy. And if you're going to come and invade, uh, you can't come in and not only convince them of a new ideology, but convince them to completely change their economic social structure. So it's a lot easier to come in and say, okay, we see that you've got a bunch of holidays here. Let me tell you how this translates into Christianity or whatever faith is being imposed. Okay, yeah, you make bread at this time and you celebrate this, but this is how you're going to celebrate it. And this is how it directly relates to the Christ figure or whatever whatever religion is invading. So it, it makes sense. If you're going to conquer someone, you don't change everything. You just simply come in and lay down a flavor on top of what they're already doing. Right. So if, if you go to Wikipedia, you, you see right off the bat, like, and I imagine this is what people are going to read, is it comes right off as Lamas being a Christian holiday. Yeah. And it's loaf mass, right? Right. So there's a lot of that. Imolk is another good example because that's candle mass, you know, and it's, right. it's funny because, you know, in Imolk, we're lighting candles and, and there's all this light stuff happening. And then you have candle mass for the Catholic Church, right? So totally just, you know, subsumed that holiday right into things. And, you know, of course, Bridget, you know, Goddess Bridget becomes Saint Bridget. And, like, you know, there's the whole thing. So there's a lot of that in all of these things. And I think there's been there's a, a lot of there's a lot of cross adoption, a lot of cross adoption. The You know, the other thing about like sort of us living in the modern monotheistic society that we live in, you know, we have holidays that are very specific dates, you know, they are set dates. Whereas when we talk about these Sabbaths, these are times of year. Um, and, you know, we have specific dates for them, you know, for our, you know, our calendar. But really, when you talk about a Sabbath, you're talking about a time of year when certain things are happening. You know, it's, it's, I think we talked about this in one of our other podcasts, you know, like with the, the corn harvest, knee high by the 4th of July, mm-hmm. right? Technically, right. if that's what's happening out in the fields, then that would be Lunasaw because that's the first harvest. Mm-hmm. We generally celebrate it on August 1st or around August 1st because it's generally where the fields are coming up and the first harvest is happening. You know, Samhain is the last harvest. It's the final harvest before you go into winter. It's when you're slaughtering the animals for your stores, right, before going into winter. So does that happen on, you know, October 31st, November 1st? 
<laughs> in no, my family, not there, necessarily. In my family, that was like a two week stretch uh, when the weather changed. You know, um, you know, they'd go out and slaughter the hogs when the weather started getting cold and my great grandfather said, Oh, winter's coming. That's when that happened. So, so we, we really, from a, from a social perspective, we, we changed from a, we're currently calendar based, right? Like you're just talking about there are specific dates, but in reality, we're talking about, you know, no calendars. We're talking about people who judge the time of year based on specific uh, events, and like you said, a two-week period where the weather starts to change, the leaves start to turn. If you plant your crops during this particular moon, then you know you're about halfway through the year and it will rise and you'll be able to meet that time a few months later. Like like the time is, is literally hinged around events throughout the year. You know, and maybe that's celestially driven. So, you know, basically, you know, where you are in the year and where the sun is and such. But it all, and also it's a part of... of Nature basically telling you where you are in the year because nature keeps track of that as well. And and to let your harvest sort of dictate when they need to be to be plowed, when they need to be harvested, that direction then tells you what holiday it is. And it doesn't have to be super specific, but you know, I get it, it can be. And we're kind of calendar driven now rather than nature driven as far as time is concerned. Is that what you were getting at? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I think that sometimes people come in and they say, oh, Lunasaw is Aris first. And I'm like, no, Lunasaw is, is a period of time where these things are happening. And if I were still right. living on the farm, I would probably have a better grasp than I do sitting here in Harlem in New York City, um, where I'm very far away from any sort of growing crops at the moment. And another thing there is that harvests can happen at, at at different times, depending on where you are on on the planet, depending on how far from the top, the further up you are, the quicker winter comes in, the sooner, you know, the leaves start to change. So to say that it falls on a specific date, that might be true for one place. Oh, when I lived in New Orleans, you know, Beltane is when the white flowering trees bloom. And in New Orleans, that's February and March. That's not May, you know, like, because right. it's so much warmer down there than it is up here. Um, and it was always very, you know, it was something we always talked about when I lived there because, you know, we, we celebrate the, the eight Sabbaths of the year, right? But for us, like, these holidays were, were very different in actual timing than they were on this, you know, sort of standardized calendar that Gardner gave us. And again, I, you know, I understand why he did it that way and why he gave us dates. But, um, you know, I really try to emphasize to people that you got to pay attention to the world around you and what's actually going on in the place that you live. And of course, we also live in the modern world where the growing world is happening constantly everywhere. You know, we get our groceries now, you know, you get fruits and veggies from California, you get them from Texas, you get them from South America. It's not like you're always eating, you know, fruits and veggies grown locally. In general, you're not. Mm -hmm. um, so then what does that mean in terms of celebrating a harvest festival like this? It's it's goofy because we have access to nearly everything all year long because we import it from places that grow it at different times of the year, uh, which means that we're really disconnected from our localized nature, localized bounty, right? We really don't appreciate what's available. I, I think probably the only thing that I, that I can imagine is more periodical is this special type of chip that's made out of pumpkin seeds. 
pumpkin seed chips that are they're like corn chips made out of pumpkins, pumpkin seeds, and they're awesome. And you can only get them during a certain time of year. You should send me a bag of those. But, I've never seen those. But but beyond that, though, I mean, uh, we are really disconnected from our localized bounty because, you know, commerce and uh, and uh, a general free market allows us to get this stuff from nearly anywhere. And I think that can be a huge problem sometimes when teaching about the holidays, right? I mean, it's it's hard to remember myself when I'm just walking through the grocery store and buying whatever I want, you know, out of season because it's available. Um, you know, it's something about practicing paganism or Wicca for me in particular that, you know, I try to really be mindful of, of that sort of thing to, you know, stay connected to these ideas because I think it's, it's really easy to lose this in, in the modern world that we live in. And that's, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's not a, a bad thing or a, you know, like people aren't terrible for, you know, being able to go down to the grocery store and, you know, get canned corn any time of year they want. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a great thing. It's great that we can. But you know the, the the flip of that though, and again, it's it's. I don't think this is a situation where we delve into the world of you have you know you only purists, right? Like like I'm an elitist pagan because I only consume corn when it's harvest. <laughs> you know, you just you're just not really going to find that very often. It's a great thing that we can access a large number of foods. We really are privileged in that sense. But at the same time, then it kind of dwindles down non-calendar specific time to like weather. And there are times where I'll like, I'll be outside and I'll be like, oh shit, it's, it's winter. Because I'm indoors most of the time. I can have access to any kind of food. The only indicator of the time of the year is the calendar on my computer. And occasionally I'll go outside and I'll be like, no shit, it's chilly today. Oh, that's right. Frick, it's winter. Duh. It's almost as if time kind of gets lost. It's no longer communicated by our local bounty. It's no longer communicated by the things that we have to do. It's no longer communicated by the holidays that we celebrate because of what's available. Because now everything's available and it seems to muddy down these holidays. I think you just also nailed the nailed the nail on the head in saying, you know, things we don't have to do because our lives no longer revolve around certain activities, certain during certain times of year in order to let us eat through the winter. You know, like all yeah. of the the cycle, this is the the agricultural cycle, our lives no longer depend on planting the crops and harvesting the crops and then storing the crops for winter in the way that it did for, you know, the people who were originally practicing these things. You know, the the nice thing the thing that I do take some comfort in though is if you want to look at at the evolution of modern witchcraft into the mundane world, you only have to go so far as the farmer's almanac to get an idea in a particular area as to how a farmer should live their life in accordance with the seasons changing, when they should plant, uh, when they should expect to harvest, the things that they might have to do that year to better nourish their plants, it could be based on pesticides or pestilence or, you know, rodents or whatnot. But the gist is that the farmer's almanac on a year-by-year basis is is modified to help the farmer get the most out of their land. And, uh, you know, if you take a look at what I believe is is witchcraft in the mundane, all you have to do is point to the farmer's almanac and say, that's what witches did. That's the shit witches kept track of. That's how they, you know, kept their families fed. 
and and people who weren't even witches, people who you know were were farmers. I mean that 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 is how they worked the magical lands. They used that kind of instruction. I love the farmer's almanac. I actually didn't see the farmer's almanac for this year. I wonder if it uh, foretold some of uh, our current situation. Maybe that that was the problem. I should have gotten the farmer's almanac this year. Maybe I would have been more prepared. Some, somewhere it said there will be an abundance of crop. And you'd be like, that's great. And then you realize nobody's buying it. And you have a shitload of potatoes out in the field. <laughs> so this is one of those holidays that... It really doesn't because the importance isn't struck on on the types of food. Because I'm not like somebody who's like, wow, I haven't had bread in a really long time. I'm really looking for the first harvest of wheat to come through so we can bake some bread and, and have some bread. Like I can have bread any day. So it's holidays like this that kind of feel very muted and is somewhat difficult to celebrate. It's one of those that can come and go, I guess, is the gist. And its importance is somewhat lost. So what do you think on that? It depends on who and what you're working with. Um, so we're we're talking about Lunasaw, right? What what's the, the big part of that is is Lou, right? Um and you mm-hmm. have Lou the, the Irish god and then you have Lou the the Welsh god. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, particularly this is one of my big holidays. Because my one of my patron deities is Blodiwith, who is married to Lou, Welsh Lou. This is Blodiwith. Blodiwith is a Welsh goddess. Um, so for me, it's not so much about the harvest aspects, but about the god associated with it. Um, and there are a lot of games of skill associated with this holiday. If I had a practicing coven right now, we'd be out in the park doing something physical activity wise in this mm-hmm. lovely heat very much a, a holiday about the sun this is you know one of the holidays that i prefer to celebrate during the day you know usually i'm i'm you know one of those witchy traditionalists who like the the dark of the night you know sort of thing but this is one that's very much a daytime holiday for me it's definitely about the heat and the sun who is the sun god yeah so i think it's it's just how you view this holiday right and where you're coming at it from, because if you're looking at it just as a harvest holiday, I mean, in that aspect, I, it gets a little lost to me as well. You know, Mabin for me is more of the, the, the big first harvest holiday. And part of it is just because I like to eat. And usually we have a really big meal on Mabin, and that's really great, right? Who doesn't like a big, mm-hmm. big meal? But, you know, so for me with, with Lunasa, I usually focus a little bit more on the mythology surrounding it. And, you know, I try to get people out and moving while we celebrate it. One of my fellow priestesses, because of the current pandemic, you know, and because people aren't gathering right now, uh, she held a a Zoom coven gathering and they all baked bread together um, and they made Mm -hmm. butter, more things like that. For me, it's, it's a very active holiday. Lunasa is not one of those, you know, you, you talk about witchcraft and everyone's like, oh, Samhain, you know, everyone knows Samhain, you know, mm-hmm. they know Beltane, you know, Ostara. I think it's it's one of the, the less publicized Sabbaths outside of the community. And so it, it is easier for it to get a little bit lost. You mentioned Lou uh, and the fact that based on the, the sort of mythology around the holiday, he just had recently lost his mother. 
and that a lot of the games were done as a means of, they were funerary games, that when people died, they, they had feasts, they had celebrations, they had, uh, they, they had these sort of feats of strength. It was meant to, to celebrate the legendariness of people who had passed, but also a means of kind of creating your own sort of legendariness, kind of a pre-Samhain celebration of death. It's, it's also the cycle of the goddess and the god. But I think it's interesting with Lunasaw is that it's, it's the goddess going into the underworld, right? Lu's mother, mm-hmm. Taucha dies from exhaustion. She, I think she goes... From harvesting. But she, was, she plowed the field so that they could be so that they could be planted and get a fertile harvest, and that's what killed her. Well, she she cleared a forest before she did it. Yeah, yeah, and died from exhaustion. And, and essentially, she she died to bring the crops. Right. Um, the other mm-hmm. sort of interesting thing about the Tauchia Lu mythology is that Tauchia was a, a, and I am probably going to incorrectly pronounce this. Um, she was a, a Fairbolg. She was the the old lineage of Irish rulers. While Lou was of the Dane, and so he, you know, in sort of traditional king-making cycles, usually the new king marries the daughter of the old king, but in this case, it's his mother, so he can't do that. There can't be that sort of sexual union of the land, right? So she dies, and by him celebrating her life in this way, it's still the same sort of... I don't want to say consummation, but there's still that energy, that's uh, that cycle, that turnover from the old to the new through well, the, the, the... It's a different angle of fertility. The, you, you have fertility through breeding and you have fertility through death. And there's the understanding that in dying, in planting, in, in burying those things that have died actually revitalizes the ground so that it can spring up as a new form. And you have to remember, too, that in the Celtic cultures... The sovereign of the land was through the woman. You know, even though the woman did not rule, the sovereignty of the land went through the woman. So by marrying the daughter of the old king or by taking the land of the daughter of the old king, you are taking control of that land. So it's it's Lou's right of passage in a lot of ways. His his um for him to be king, you know, this is how he has to do it, essentially. So these celebrations, uh, these these games, you know, the the feasting, the making marries, is that transition of sovereignty and sovereign power to him as king, which is all very fascinating. <laughs> we as a society are very disconnected from the harvesting aspect, from the the killing aspect. When you're eating a loaf of bread. A plant had to have been harvested. It had to well, it had to have been planted. It had to have grown, and then it had to have been killed in order to be harvested. And that some of that seed will be used to plant in the following year. I mean, that's less the case nowadays, but it, th- that was the gist, right? Was that you would keep some of the seed, you know, uh, so that where some will fall, uh, it will rise again. And you have that that circle and that cycle. And during a period of time where you have your harvest. You're killing. You're killing all of your fields. You're you're taking up all of the growth that you've spent the past three to six months nurturing. So this is a harvesting. Always always seen as sort of like a bounty thing, like a feasty, rewardy kind of thing. It's also the killing of your fields. You know, you're basically reaping what what you have grown and nurtured. It's the killing of your fields, and it is a lot of hard work. 
and there's a lot of blood, mm-hmm. sweat, and tears that go into it. You know, the Lunasa is probably the lightest, the happiest. You know, this is the first harvest. You still have plenty to go. There are more fields that need to be harvested. It's not the last time you're harvesting. It is the first harvest. It's the first time your table is fully loaded again, right? Like, this this is really the height of the best eating time of the year. You're not worried yet about winter. This is this is a celebration of literally everything has worked. We are not yet transitioning to that. Oh, now we have to put this away for winter. So I think there's a lot more of that almost celebratory feeling and thinking in terms of Lunasaw in comparison to the other harvest festivals. Just because it's it's like, yay, it worked. We're here. We made it. Things went right. You know, things went the way we wanted them to. I imagine it's like a gambler who goes up to a table with a certain amount of money and after a period of time comes back and says, okay, how much did I win? How big a stake can I buy to celebrate my winnings? And that's what this is. You you invested in the land, you made a bet with, with nature, and hopefully you came back with a huge harvest. And now you're celebrating. You're celebrating all the work that went into into growing what would eventually become your food. And I think we're right. we're disconnected from that. I mean, it's one of the reasons why this holiday kind of files by the wayside, because when we think we want a loaf of bread, we're not waiting. We just go to the store. Plenty of bread. Plenty of bread. So much bread. Every sort of bread. So it, it And I think that's one of the reasons why the holiday kind of gets passed by. And then on top of that, we have a primary holiday for celebrating death, and that's Samhain. The idea that, first off, that we're disconnected from our harvesting and the killing of our fields and, you know, going out and slaughtering one of the bulls in order to have a celebration. We're, we're really disconnected from that. So that that life cycle is very disconnected from most people's lives. Um, the fact that we can get it from elsewhere as a result of being disconnected and we can get it at any time, it makes it difficult to appreciate this holiday uh, as anything more than a holiday that you don't want to do anything on because it's so dang hot. Well, and I, I think that this is a conundrum that modern paganism generally faces, right? Because that's mm. true of most of our holidays. Not not for all of them, but for a lot of them, you know, we are, as as modern humans, just very, very separated from the things that we're actually celebrating in on these days. Not everyone, you know, I, I know a lot of people who, you know, are still farmers out in the country and, you know, who do live by these cycles. But I would say a majority of us don't. You know, most of us are not out in the fields harvesting now. You know, even for people with gardens, you know, it's it's slightly different. You know, um, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. we really depended on the the kitchen garden. You know, we, we ate through the winter a lot off of what we planted. But even in that sense, there was always that knowledge that as long as there was a little bit of money, you know, you could go to the grocery store. So I think that's a very difficult thing to reconcile, you know, even when... It's, it's hard to celebrate the reward when the risk is so low. Right. For most of us, most of us are not that dependent on what we are personally growing. Again, not true of everybody, but a lot of us, um, that, mm. that's the case. But I think, I, think that, I, I think a good way to celebrate this, if uh, you're not into going out and, and doing feats of strength or celebrating people who have died uh, because, again, there are other holidays where that's also focused on. I think as a basic ritual, making bread is is probably like the one thing that everyone can do. It's so easy to do. People so rarely do it. Now, 
granted, I think a lot of people who are, you know, on this particular path probably bake bread more frequently than most. And that's just because I, I know a lot of pagans that are really active in the kitchen. I guess is the best way to put it. This is a great time to make bread. And the recipes are so crazy simple uh, that anyone can do it. Except that, <laughs> strangely enough, this year uh, there was like a shortage of of uh, yeast. I was actually going to bring stores. that up. I, I think that this year for the first <laughs> time, because of the pandemic, a lot of people have been Because everyone's been home. Everyone's like, time. Yeah. like, there's, there's been like a crap now? ton of memes. <laughs> I'm home. I'm bored. Let's make bread. Uh, you know what's funny is I was shocked because I was thinking to myself, and I don't know if I saw a picture, and you never know if you're not focused on something, subliminally things just kind of leak into your life. You don't realize how commercials and memes and all these things sort of kind of dump on you. But I felt, I felt like I had come up with a creative thing. Like, I'm at home. I've got flour. All I need is yeast. I'm just going to make some bread. And then I find out that all the yeast is gone from the stores because everyone else is making bread. And that's when I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not the only person who had this idea. Well, what was really crazy for me was when um, after the yeast ran out, you know, grocery stores didn't have yeast anymore. I started seeing recipes for making your own yeast, which apparently you can right, do. Right. I didn't know that. You can make your own yeast. Yeah, evidently like, from there's, fruit. There's, there are um, basically germs in the air. I mean, don't mean germs as in like bacteria. I just mean like, you know, there's 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 enough stuff in the air that it settles and it it'll, you can mix it in and it will start consuming uh the 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 batter i'm not making a fucking cake um <laughs> the dough the dough the dough <laughs> sorry sorry the batter have you been drinking your uh lunasa beer already this morning no 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 i'm i'm waiting for my cakes at all time it, but i mean it, that there's just evidently enough that if you let it sit out and then you stick it in the fridge given enough time it's going to rise because enough stuff's going to get into it that it starts munching away at the dough and it starts producing little fart bubbles, which, you know, that's basically how we rise dough, right? It's just yeast becoming activated and farting in your bread. Very clinical explanation. <laughs> that's how it works. That's how we. That's how it does its thing. And we appreciate it. We do. That, yeah, you could just leave it out and eventually it'll rise. There's some methods you can do to make that work better, but yeah. I started hearing about like specialized sourdough strains. Oh, sourdough. That's like a whole thing. Like your sourdough starter, you know, people have like passed down through generations the the sourdough starter. My grandmother used to get her sourdough yeast from a cup of yogurt that she's kept in the fridge for 72 years. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, um, In in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, there's this whole sort of long-running joke about um someone's grandmother dies and he inherits the the sourdough starter and it ends up with someone else and it's him trying to get the sourdough starter back and it's just this whole long long long-running gag you know and uh, but i know people like that right (laughs) yes there is actually a sourdough starter library uh with a librarian yeah so like people take this very seriously i i would be very careful about insulting sourdough right now chris you might might get mobbed 
I know people who were creating new starters and like leaving it out for their communities during the midst of the pandemic so people could I love I love your warning like <laughs> like you better watch what you say about those sourdough starter people because they will dox you. They they will. They'll come after you. They, they will they will put your shit online. They will get your name and address out there. I and I they wouldn't will come I wouldn't mess with dough them. At your house. I would not mess no. with those people. They are serious people. <laughs> um <laughs> Those are the same folks that will take like the the heritage tomatoes and throw it at your house and drive by. <laughs> if you make fun of their of their antiquated seed collection, so yeah, so baking bread, seeds aside, baking bread might be a a great way to connect to this holiday. Like if there is a holiday to bake bread, by golly, this is the one. It's a good one. I I would concur with you on that. And I, I honestly think like we just need to step away from you know trying to hinge around holidays that are that are region specific or society specific i'm just saying we should create a new holiday call it like bread giving (laughs) um i i'm in you want to invite me over for bread giving i I, i'll show up (laughs) and you have to make it and what it is is it's a celebration and everybody has to bring their bread and it's a sharing of bread different types of bread you should you should impress people by the bread you make you mean i i can't just crack open a tube throw it in the oven no you can't you can't just go through a tube of biscuits oh come on i got a really nice tube (laughs) of biscuits waiting for me tonight in my my solitary celebration in the midst of pandemic you can but i I think the other witches would look at you (laughs) side-eyed that's probably true that's probably true modern feats of strength in this day and age i think bowling might be good for this yeah bowling even yard bowling Cornholing that even calls back to growing corn and harvesting corn during this part of the year. You know, the tossing of bean bags into the board with the hole. Um, capture the flag is great. That's a great one. Oh, running? Yeah. You might have to run. Run. Running is typically a, an <sighs> aspect of today. I was really thinking of more feats of strength where I can hold a beverage in one hand and do the feat in the other hand. I mean, you, you could theoretically you- run with a beverage in hand. A lot of people do it. Horseshoes, which is kind of like yeah, kind of slightly. It's a slightly different version of it, but yeah, play horseshoes on today. That would be a good one. What would be what would be another piece? I mean, obviously, we don't have lawn darts anymore. We lost too many children in the eighties to lawn darts, (laughs) so that's not going to be a feat of strength or skill. Croquet. (laughs) No, no. I I know you all can't see see us right now, but uh, Reverend Wade is shaking his head at me in despair. (laughs) Wrestling, wrestling would be a good. No, 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 you're you're not going to go out and wrestle. Oh, I no, I. But that's just me. Maybe, maybe. Maybe there are some circles where it's kind of like, I could see it. Yeah, sure, I could see it. But I think the wrestling would be more like, you know, sumo wrestling, you know, where you push the person out of the circle. I mean, you could always get the sumo suits, you know, and do the whole thing. Wouldn't that be fun? <gasps> oh, all right. That that just that just ranked right up there. You turn your circle into a sumo circle, and then you try to see who can push the other one out of the circle. Whoever breaks circle there loses. There you go. That's exactly. perfect. That ranks up at a nine for me. So that's a great holiday. And on top of that, you're in a suit that's inflated. So, hey, that Perfect. works too. All right. Well, for everyone that's listening, hopefully you enjoy the holiday and uh, make some bread and put on a sumo suit and wrestle some people because that could be <laughs> fun too. And until the next episode, 
This is your resident wizard, Reverend Wade. This is librarian and witch, Cassandra. And thank you for listening. Lunasa. Lunasa. Uh, Maybe we should just do an episode on pagan pronunciation. Of no, words. nope. I don't feel like I would have a very good time with that. No, episode I don't at think all. you would either. No. I would though. I would have a great time with that episode. I would not be. I would not be happy with that episode. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you correct correct me as we go. Okay. <laughs> happy to do it.